When you downloaded this podcast, you had to make a choice. If you download the blue podcast, you delete this one, you listen to some other podcast, you go to bed, the story ends. You listen to the red podcast, you stay in Wonderland, and Roger and I show you how deep this rabbit hole goes. Welcome to Ribbon of Memes. Episode 98 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other artificial intelligences as masterpieces. I am Nick, the uh, born messiah of this podcast, I think, and I am joined as ever by Roger. Who has only been seriously accused of being an artificial intelligence three times that I found out about. <laughs> we don't tell you about the others, Roger. You're very good at passing that Turing test. Um, yeah, we... depending on how you read the original specification, it was, uh, can a man tell the difference between a computer and a woman, these both being equally alien species? <laughs> there, I think it was passed, there was some, I don't think it was documented, there was evidence of it being passed in like the early 80s by an angry teenager who'd hacked into a, a bot that was basically designed to just insult someone and they kept talking to it for two hours. Yeah, but, well, Eliza was the whole, yeah. The anyway, whole we that. digress, but the reason we're talking about machine intelligence is, is because we are delving into the Wachowskis, um, we'll call it that even though the last one isn't the Wachowskis, um, uh, quartet of um, Dickian uh, reality blending masterpieces? Question mark. The Matrix. That would be the Matrix. The Matrix Reloaded. I'm going to forget all these titles. So I think maybe at Roger's suggestion we might just refer to these as two, three, and four. Um, but Reloaded, Revolutions, and Resurrection. I think are the names. Yeah. So. Hmm, yeah. What I think was it's your fair prior to say to the Matrix, Roger. Well, I I had only seen the first one. Okay, me too. Uh I think it's fair to say that the reason we didn't give our impressions of 2 and 3 had uh, not having seen them had not been generally positive. Well, this was around about the time of the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And I, at the time, thought, you know what, I enjoyed The Matrix, I don't need another franchise that I quite like to be totally ruined. So I bowed out of 2 and 3, and just just stuck with The Matrix at the time. And I think it's fair to say that the existence of 4, which got some early, very positive press from people they tend to trust, is yes. why we didn't simply talk about The Matrix as one of our films from 1999. Yeah, we did discuss it, but we thought... Uh, as we haven't seen any of the others, so we took a slight gamble. Um, but because it was deemed to be a relatively successful late sequel, we thought we'd try all of them um, for this episode, which makes it one of our 2020... Um, two. Two <laughs> episodes. <laughs> um, I forgot what year it was. Okay, well, uh, it's probably best to take them in order then, uh, and then we can discuss the, how successful the whole thing is. Yeah. Um, 
So the Matrix, I mean, if you don't know the story, um, you probably do, though, because this was... uh, I had forgotten, going back to it, quite how influential the Matrix was, visually, narratively, uh, in so many ways. It really was uh, incredibly original. Um, Well, it, it also hit just the right time. Now... So, yeah, this came out in 99. I was working uh, for an ISP. There there were many people who were probably vaguely aware of the Internet, but but certainly it was people were in the process of adopting it. But it was still there were lots of people who didn't. Yes. Um, So, yeah, knowing about it, you, you could still remember when knowing about it had made you an insider, even if you weren't anymore. (laughs) <laughs> so in in techie culture in particular, it, it was the exact right film at the right time for that. Yeah, uh, digital really was starting to... I mean, of course, the new Star Wars films um, were all one of the first digitally uh, filmed... Uh, uh, yeah, that, that's not so much what I'm getting at, it's more the subject matter. Yes, exactly. Well, uh, yeah, okay. That's I mean, the, the, the new Star Wars films are basically the same subject matter as the old Star Wars films. You know, let's have space adventures. Just with a ton more CGI. With maybe robots and stuff. But whereas The Matrix is saying, yeah, man, we're going to be philosophical about this. We're, we're going to have a, a book by a famous French philosopher you haven't heard of. Uh, <laughs> yes. We're, we're, yeah, what, what if it really is all delusion, man? Now, these are not original concepts in themselves. Um, Philip K. Dick was no stranger to... Uh, basically, all of his oeuvre is this kind of stuff. Um uh, but the idea that underpinning our reality, we're, we're all in a simulation, and that philosophical idea had been around a while as well. But it, um, uh, it, I don't know. Was this the first mainstream thing? Probably, probably was the most mainstream blockbuster that ever grappled with that. I'm probably missing some things. Things like Vanilla Sky. When was Vanilla Sky? But that, uh, oh, spoilers for Vanilla Sky. <laughs> I should say. Um, uh, but it was... Well, there there is another film, um, The 13th Floor, which came out, in fact, in the same year as this. Right. Uh, which is based on one of the classic novels of this sort of thing, not by Philip Dick. I mean, yeah, Time Out of Joint, I think it would be fair to say, is, is Dick's real This is This is All an Illusion. This yes. is all a simulation. I love that book. And Ubik, which is a similar sort of thing, for very different reasons. Um, so, love that too. so that's what, Time Out of Joint is in the late 50s, I think. Um, so uh, Daniel Galui's Simulacron 3, which was published in the UK as Counterfeit World, is 1964. Mm. Um, and the ba- basic idea of that is here, here is a guy who is working on a computer-generated simulation to be used for marketing research, mostly. Um, and gradually starts to realise that he is himself in a computer simulation that is being used for marketing research. And in <laughs> fact, one, one, of the re- one of the causes of problems is that these guys down in the simulation have got fed up with the constant public opinion monitors who can barge in and ask them questions at any time. So they've built their simulation to try to prevent that happening. <laughs> okay. Which oh. makes them less useful to the people above. Yes. Oh, that um, sounds great. Uh, I believe it, I believe the thirteenth floor is a fairly loose adaptation. It's a Roland Emmerich film, um, but, but not one of his particularly explodey ones. Okay, it, it's it's more of a neo noir. I suppose we also had um, 
Total Recall, which of course was based on a mm. Philip, Day, Philip K. Dick short story. We can remember it for your wholesale, I yeah. think. Um, but uh, that was another kind of blockbuster, which it wasn't... Um, it was more you can't trust your own senses, which is where Dick was probably more um, uh, into it. Um, yeah. But and there, there, there are, all of these, I think, have, have the common thread of you, you look around the world and you think, hang on, that's a little bit wrong. That's not the way things are meant to work. And that is very much running through the Matrix is something is off. You don't know what it is. And then you find out the truth and you're like, ah. Oh. Now I understand. <laughs> no, um, okay, so I mean, let, let, let's put in our spoiler warning here for, for, for the one person who hasn't seen The Matrix. Um, well, don't, stop listening and go and watch The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that sense that something is wrong with the world could be reasonably considered to be consistent with dysphoria in general, particularly yes. if, as happens here, you meet a bunch of people who's, who are who seem like real people, whereas most of the people you meet aren't. Yes. Um this is a common experience to people discovering SF fandom. I don't know if that still happens in the internet now that you can find it <laughs> on the net as a kid, but certain, certainly to somebody of my sort of age when you had to go out and actually find it. Finding your tribe, I guess. Um, yeah. And consequently, that can be that can be read and subsequently was after the metaphor, was, uh, after the Matrix, as a metaphor for any number of um, uh, feelings of... Uh, disjointedness from reality. Yeah, I, I think the key point here is not, is it about this specific dysphoria? I mean, mm. the obvious speculation since both of the uh, Wachowskis came out as trans after these yes. films have been made, um, that it might have been their gender dysphoria, and that may well have been one of the things that informed them. But I think the reason it is so popular, or a reason it is so popular, is is that an awful lot of people Yes. Feel that sort of dysphoria. Here is this bland consumerist society that frankly I'm not interested in and doesn't, has very little to say to me. There's and... got to be something more to this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I, I, and I, I suppose think the reason helped. it was so successful even 20 years ago was that, yeah, you're, you're right. I, I think the fact that it was so successful speaks in itself to the fact that many people feel that. I mean, they, that may not have been the only appeal of the major. If it was, well, I mean, so obviously, it, it, it's it's also cool. It's you know, it, it, it made black trench coats popular again. Well, uh, that's the other thing about them. So philosophically, it was very interesting. I mean, it's not a light film in the sense, you know, uh, uh, literally, you know, it's it's quite it's all dark tones. I did get a little as we've been going through ribbon of memes and noticing, uh, you know, color. Uh, cues and things that the constant green of the matrix i kind of liked but i did get a bit tired of it mm. <laughs> after a while but but the green saturation of it um uh but it was less obvious than in um traffic flipping out <laughs> one of the things i find um I, I i remember at the time finding it surprising you you've got this whole transition between we are in the matrix and like and things are like this and then we are outside mm. and things are like that but there is never the thing that I expected, which is, you know, we have gone through the waking up sequence, but are we really outside or have we been put into a different simulation? That's right. There's never any... Uh, and again, other... Uh, it seems like the obvious doubt to plant. Uh, I'll, I'll grant Simulacrum doesn't, uh, but Jim Hogan's real-time interrupt certainly does. And again, Philip K. Dick, it won't be the last time I mention his name, I suspect. He would certainly have played with that kind of level of um, yeah. meta-reality. They do, we'll come on to it, maybe they ever so slightly flirt with it, I feel, in Matrix 4, 
Matrix Resurrection ever so slightly. I don't think it really comes yeah. to anything, but they uh, they flirt with that a little bit. Not quite, but you're right. Once they're up, it's like, this is the real world. No further doubt. Mm. Um, I mean, so the story, which we probably don't need to summarise too much, is that Thomas Anderson, as this hacker, discovers that he is... Uh, basically this messianic figure born to disrupt the Matrix. Um, or at least people think he is. Yes. He never really buys into that in any of the films, even though when it becomes pretty clear that he is. Um, but it's it also starts with a real statement of um, style, because it doesn't start with Thomas, of course. It starts with um, Carrie-Anne Moss um, in, uh, uh, as Trinity. Um basically doing superhero cool things before superhero films were all over the screen. So that mm-hmm. in itself was a bit new. I mean, she's uh, she doesn't have a specific superpower, but she's super agile, she's super fast. The people she's fighting are... It's clear that they are a level above the, the mooks, if you like, around them. Yeah, but also, it's, also it's genre-breaking because it's, it's looking like, you know, here is a film about FBI versus criminals or whatever. Yes. Everything is playing into that, and then, whoa, suddenly these people are superhuman. And it's really stylish. I mean, I, w- I was still impressed with it now. I mean, now there's bullet time is a thing that, that uh, and by bullet time, I mean this kind of slow motion while the camera pans round a still, apparently still shot, but it mm-hmm. can sort of spin round. And the, apparently that was done with like 20 cameras filming at once or something like that, and mm. they just switch around the camera. But that, at the time, so as well as being innovative narratively, I think more so just visually, it was incredible just yeah. watching this kind of. And I think this was the most innovative of them in terms of visual effects as well. I mean, there, there were some pretty impressive things done in two as well, but we'll, yes. we'll come on to that. Um, yeah, th- this is, it's not just producing bullet time, it's inventing the grammar that says this is how bullet time worked. You know, nobody had any yeah. trouble understanding that. They worked it out. Yes, and it, it it really it was not you didn't feel confused or disoriented. I, I mean, there's a, it's hard to think of another word for it other than cool. It just looked cool. Mm. It was cool people looking cool, doing cool things. Um, they had uh, long trench coats or tight leather suits. They had sunglasses. They had Uzis in both hands, and they went spinning around. It's it, it, I wish I wasn't as impressed as I was, but there's a part of me that just is like that is. You know, mm. it's hard to define cool, but that was it. Just struck a cool nerve, and it's. I was a little surprised. I don't know how you feel about how well it stood up because I would have thought I'd be a bit tired of that by now because it's been mm. so influential. Um, and and maybe I did have to ki- cut it a bit of slack because of that. But I do think it really did hold up. There were moments in the Matrix, and I, I don't think we should retread the plot too much because we've got four films to get through, but there were moments in the Matrix, for instance, when they're in the foyer and they're shooting all chips out of the marble and everything. Mm. That started to get a bit too much for me. I was just like, all right, I've got the idea now. You don't need to keep doing it for the rest of the film. But the slow motion, clink, 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 as the empty shell casing mm. dropped onto the floor. For a while it was good, but I, I did get a little tired of it, but it's fine. Because it was only one film. Well, the, the really blatant ripoff of this was in Equilibrium uh, three years later. <laughs> well, I remember it from Max Payne, the computer game, which actually had bullet time as a mechanic in it. Basically, uh-huh. a blatant ripoff of the Matrix. That was a very good game because it's a very good mechanic, frankly. Um, 
so uh, I, I mean, The Matrix. We've talked about it is a deep philosophical film. I mean, well, it, it it's, has... it's trying to be. You know, we, we have yeah. to calibrate our standards by films here. Uh, yeah. But we have, it doesn't actually delve too deeply. But actually, I think of all the films, it's the one that plays with it more because we Mm. have our character. Oh, I've forgotten his name because it's actually for various reasons. It's been a while since we've, I rewatched The Matrix. But the, the character of Cypher, um, who, uh, played by, uh, is it Joe Pantoliano? Um, he's the one. And I, I really like these questions. He's like, all right, you've shown me the real world. It's shit. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> live there. I want to go back. I want to have all the power in the... Ma- I want to be king of the Matrix, basically. I want to be able to eat steak instead of this processed maggot or whatever it is we're eating in in, mm. in the real world. And I really like that. And I the, the betrayal mechanic, where it does a really good job of introducing the cue of the Nebuchadnezzar. And then they all get off pretty quickly. <laughs> we yeah, I mean, let, let, let's not quibble about what, what the word hovercraft means, because it has a defined meaning in this, ain't it? But... <laughs> <laughs> no, this is some kind of electrical, um, uh, electromagnetic thing, isn't it? Um, I mean, I, I, I will grant that the, 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 the term torpedo completely changed meaning in the early 20th century. But anyway, uh, it, it is an interesting early example of the ratty looking ship rather than the gleaming ship. Not the first, I think, but I, but I would certainly argue that Firefly and Battlestar Galactica a few years later were inspired yeah. by this. You know, the, the ship is a bit dark and grotty and, and it's, it's not just aliens. It's, it's actually dirty. That's true. I would argue Star Wars did a bit of that, the original Star Wars. The Millennium Falcon doesn't look like it's had a good cleaner in for a while. Mm. But I agree, this is uh, <laughs> a grubby place uh, to lay out. But I really enjoy that. I suppose going back to the philosophy of it, that it's it, it's a film that does play with it a little bit, that it, it looks into the reactions of the characters. Um, yeah, I can forgive it a certain amount of uh, half-digested zen. I mean, this is a film that has, I mean, it's two and a half hours and it doesn't, is it two and a half hours? It's over two hours anyway, yeah. which is my um, limit for how long a film should be <laughs> for the most part. Um, but it doesn't actually feel that long and it has got a lot to cover. It goes along at a fair old lick and it, it doesn't, although it plays a bit with the idea of the Matrix, it's not that long before Neo's sitting in front of um, uh, Morpheus with the red pill and the blue pill. It doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, it's not too tardy. Um, you know, the very first scene with Neo, he he follows the White Rabbit, and then pretty soon after that, he's he's with Morpheus. So it doesn't dwell on the Matrix that much. It could have done, but it's got a lot to do. This film has mm. got a lot of a lot of world building. So I don't mind it going along at a fair old lick, really. Yeah, um, I, I feel that partic- the, the longer the film is, the faster it has to move because you you have you have a dull bit in a ninety minute film. Then, well, you know. Doesn't can't last that long before you have to go yeah. and do something else. Well, let's, uh, speaking of, because we've touched upon the characters, we talked about M. Cypher. Lawrence Fishburne I mean, is doing a lot of heavy lifting here. I didn't realise <laughs> how much until I rewatched it this time. He has, he has a great deal of exposition to get through. Um, uh, I mean, he does a great job. He's a yeah. very, he's got a pretty thankless task um, in that he's got to look cool, um, be cool. Um, introduce all the the key concepts. Um, uh, yeah, he, d- he does a great job. I still, um, well, these three main characters. Uh, I'm going to use them. Uh, will be Trinity, Neo, and Morpheus. <sighs> They're all 
No, I'm going to take that back. They're not all doing a great acting job because I still think Keanu Reeves, a uh, lovely person though he is, um, I, I, I do feel Neo is a bit of a flaw here because he's just... I don't know if he's supposed to be an everyman. We've encountered this a bit before. Um, I think there's a bit of that. Also, I remember at the time, um, I, and I went to look at a couple of contemporaneous reviews, um, mm. people were very impressed that he could do this much because he was still thought of as the, the Bill and Ted guy. Yes, yeah. Um, I did notice a slight regression to the physical <laughs> um, uh, Bill and Ted-isms by the fourth film, but he's very different here physically. Um, uh, but... He's not an interesting character to me. I mean, there's just we know pretty much nothing about Neo. Um, by the end of it, we still don't. Well, we don't know a lot about the rest of them either. Trinity well, is that, in love with Neo. That's what I'm coming to, really. Uh, uh, Neo has his one character trait, which is he loves Trinity. Trinity has a one character trait that she loves Neo. Uh, Morpheus is the serious guy who has to do the exposition, and they really don't have any. Any more character development than that, as far as I... I mean, Neo physically develops into a Christ-like figure by the end of it, mm. but he doesn't really... Personality-wise, I, I suppose he does come to a realisation that he is this figure, but uh, I, I don't know, he doesn't... <laughs> he sort of has to, because it happens to him. I don't know that... It doesn't feel like a great revelation to him. I mean, the closest. Well, I, I think have... he's. I think what he's trying to do, at least as I see it, is accept and work out how to use the power, mm. whatever it is that he's got, while not necessarily buying into the legend. Yes, that and other I, people I... have built up round the idea of this guy with the power. That's fair, um, and I agree with you. It just doesn't. He never feels like a a character you're interested in or rooting for I find. I mean, between those three characters, I can't think of a lot of particular traits. Trinity looks great, obviously. She's very competent. What What is she actually about, though? She believes in Neo. She, she thought that she, she might be the Neo. one, and then Tom T told her she wasn't. Uh, yeah, and then, I don't know, I don't really know much else about her. Um... Uh, it's funny, a bit a bit as Blade Runner, the one character that we see with the passion is Hugo Weaving mm. as Agent Smith. Um, and that passion this... mostly takes the form of revulsion, but... <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that was, a, that, that was one of my favourite scenes in The Matrix, was when they have uh, Morpheus kidnapped and, and Agent Smith just can't resist expressing, you know, you almost think he's going to express a grudging admiration for humans, but no, he's just going to tell them that he hates them and they, they stink. And he, he yeah, that that mean... is the great speech. Yeah, yeah, and it's not, it's clear he's not just talking about, you smell, which is not the great insult. It's just like, I, I, I despise you to the very core of my being, that just the idea of you disgusts me. And he's probably also disgusted that he knows that they're ultimately his creators in the past. It's just, mm. it's a nice scene. Yeah, that that was like. also a, a good cartoon at the time, taking advantage of the coincidence of actors of Elrond giving the same speech. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he really enlivens it for me, Hugo Weaving yeah. as Agent Smith. And again, these, uh, it's a nice update. I mean, I think by then, you know, we're, we're in the kind of X-Files territory, Men in Black, the kind of updating that idea of Men in Black to be these um, 
alien, incredible, super powerful entities. It wasn't a new idea, but I think it was probably the new a new idea for the screen, mm. um, for film at least. Uh, Hugo Weaving, I think, is great in it and, and very much enlivens it. it it's a and it seems strange to th- to say this about such a huge budget film, but it feels very economical. It's got a small cast. Mm. Um, the Oracle the- is a mystery. We don't know who or why, or you know, she's just there. Zion is an off-screen mystery, and I think that's great. You you don't need to explain everything. It really should have stayed that way, but we'll come to, <laughs> we'll come uh, to the, that. The the thing, okay, two things I would like to say about this film specifically, because um, they they both got relatively ignored later on. One is Nokia ninety one ten, still best form factor for a mobile phone. <laughs> I had one; it was great. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. The other thing I've is still got one, so. the the thing that everybody complained about at the time because nobody making this film had the slightest clue what they were doing. The whole power supply thing, yeah. How does conservation of energy work? You, these yeah. are living things. You feed them energy; they bring energy well, out. <laughs> I have to, I have to give that a pass because if you don't accept the premise that this is how they get their energy, which is yeah, it's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Just grow some plants or something instead. I, there'd be, there'd, I know. There's, anyway, it doesn't make any sense. But you have to sort of meet that head on and just be like, okay. Well, the the uh, approach I came up with at the time, and I, I admit I didn't particularly test this against the later films when I did watch them, is that what the AIs need is essentially um, inventiveness. Thinking of things that haven't been thought of before. Which you which yeah, you, which you could plausibly extract at a subconscious level and use to I've... run your AI society while while keeping the um, surface society boring and staid. So you could almost replace energy with like processing power, then it would work. Well, not processing better. power, but the specific sort of a human imagination. Fuzzy because logic. otherwise, what is the point in keeping them happy at all? Even if it worked as a conservation of energy thing, it's never really explained why. I agree with you, but there are ways you can you can paper over that crack exactly as you yeah, yeah. as you have done. That the, they the need thing... something unique to humanity. All right, uh, all right. I'll just do one more. Um, the, <laughs> the thing that I do find a, a little dispiriting is it very much the whole you you random person you are special. Not yeah. because of anything you've done, not because of, it, of who you are, just you have been randomly picked. You have won the lottery. You didn't need to try at all because it's all irrelevant anyway. And I, I, yeah. even then, I felt that there were too many people telling young men in particular that, no, no, you don't have to do anything. Sooner or later, you'll be appreciated just for who you are. That's a really good point. I hadn't quite thought of it like that. but it, there And is I, I suspect this is this is why um, Red Pill got used as, as the... Um, Shorthand for seeing the feminist conspiracy. Which, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it got to be. Yeah, I, I don't think that was in any way. You know, clearly, you know, the future of, um, uh, as you say, the Wachowskis are, are both trans women. Um, I, I don't think that was in any way intended that way. But no, anyway, but I, but probably... I think that's why it got picked up and used for that because it has that yeah. whole thing of breaking out into the real society, and that can, uh, yeah. that can be abused. And you're right; there is something depressing. Also just not that interesting about it uh you're a random guy but you're actually great it's never really explained 
satisfactory. I know they try and explain. It's never really explained satisfactorily why that should be the case. They go around in knots in the later films of trying to <laughs> come mm. up with some reason why someone becomes it. My other issue, which I think is an issue for both of us, really. Well, no, we'll we'll save that for the sequels. But I, I think it ends really nicely. Yeah, he does find this part, and he basically. He's not looking at the world anymore. He's looking at the code underlying mm. it, and he can modify the code. Um, so he can. He's basically, to my mind, Doctor Manhattan at this point. He can do mm-hmm. anything he wants in any way, and he does that. Really, he just off Smith very easily. He flies off. Um, it's a. It's a good. It's ending. a good end to the story. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do next? So then um, we have another three films. So. Uh, Two years later? Well, it comes out... Uh, two two and three both come out in 2003. Well, they were so filmed it's... either back-to-back or within six months of each other, I think. Yeah. We I, have I, I think this is like uh, Back to the Future 2 and 3. They were, they were put together as separate films uh, rather than just having... Unlike, say, the Three Musketeers films, which were filmed as one long session and then cut into two separate films... Like this or Lord was of the it, Rings, I think. Yeah, but these were intended to be multiple separate films in entities. First um, we have the Matrix. Uh, forgive me, I get this wrong. Reloaded, Reloaded is the first one, and then Revolutions. Um, so they were, as you say, they were put together as different films. Um, I'm going to be honest; they blend together in my mind <laughs> as the same film, regardless. Well, it, it's interesting. They were released, I think, six months apart, and. Um, Friend of the, and occasional guest on the show, Marianne, um, very much liked two. Really yes. didn't get on with three. And I think to some extent that's because two is. I, I, we're, we're about to tear two several new holes, but <laughs> it, it, it raises questions which three answers, and it's always more interesting to raise questions than to answer them. Well, with everything else I, equal. Not always. I mean, if. I think the. the I feel like the entertainment media that answer a question satisfactorily, they're the ones you remember. That's why Babylon 5 stands out in my mind, because mm. it, it sets up questions, and then it's, it's not always successful by any means, but the ones it answers, it does so. Um, that's why Lost stands out in my mind for exactly the opposite reason, <laughs> because it, it did nothing but set up questions and then answered them very badly, which is a J.J. Abrams thing we've since... Yeah, I, I was um, immunised to that by his previous series, Alias, as I may have mentioned before. Though I should put it was Damien Lindenhoff, who actually did a really good job of um, the Watchmen TV series, which was really flipping good, in my opinion, compared to the film, which was... Really flipping bad. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. The thing that really struck me uh, watching 2 especially is it's no longer an economical film in the sense of Mm. storytelling. All of a sudden, the Resistance is a much bigger thing. There are lots of ships, not just this one. Zion is huge. I mean, there's so much traffic in and out of Zion, they need people who are busier than modern air traffic controllers to keep track of it. It, it, (laughs) It's a huge... And to be honest... um, uh, disbelief suspension breaking city i mean how you keep that secret i i don't know it's just and they they mention it and they talk about it but how you sustain this thing and this is a devastated post-apocalyptic world i it it really suffers too particularly really suffers from the sequelitis bigger better Mm. more explosions more things it just um but, but also, you know, where, where Morpheus was 
a senior figure of the resistance and that's all he needed to know about the resistance as a whole now he is a pretty minor guy and he he is in fact the fringe culty member of the resistance whereas the rest <laughs> of them are just trying to get on with it well i i slightly like that that you know we get the perspective we get of the real world is from morpheus turns out he's a bit of a nut job and no one else seriously believes that neo's this hero i kind of like that actually i i like that neo is at the mercy of this uh <laughs> i don't know um uh, Jim Jones-esque figure <laughs> that's, it, that's resurrected. That's perhaps a bit harsh, but the, there is something about drinking the Kool-Aid. Anyway, mm. um, uh, with the red pill, what, blue pill. But I think the fundamental problem to me with both two and three is that it expands greatly on the real world, and frankly, it's not that interesting a world, mm. uh, and we're in there an awful lot of the time. It's... It's a slightly weird, big, as you say, this huge city full of sad-looking, grumpy people. Well, There's no, you, you know that shot, and I'll come back to this, but there's a particular sort of shot where you, yeah, the camera comes over a ledge or something of that, and you see the great big whatever it is spread out beneath you. Uh, the Great yes. Machine in Forbidden Planet is one of the classics of that. Yes, yes. And we have that, and we have the awe-inspired awe music, but but where's the lead-up? You know, nobody was saying, you're going to love this city, or nobody's saying it's, it's huge, or whatever. It's just, oh no, here it is. Bam. Maybe that I, that may be a function of the fact that this was three years after the everyone loved the Matrix, Zion was mentioned, everyone was saying, oh, what might Zion be like? So there may have been a build-up sort of in-between films, mm. maybe. I, I should say, advocate a bit, I, I don't know where... About uh, you, I, I I watched the Animatrix, the animated shorts many years ago, uh, but I but I, but I haven't read any of the comics, or there there were various other things that happened in the meantime that I just paid no attention to. So yes, apparently they're quite good. The anime, I I uh, do you remember whether they're? I remember watching? them positively, but I didn't rewatch them for this. So I didn't get around to it, but um. <laughs> Um, <coughs> but we me, have, sorry. I mean, we have good things. We have, we have a pre-Farfly Gina Torres. Fair enough. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's true. Um, but we also have, you know, the, the, taking over a person who had been freed was specifically something that was impossible. Now Smith yes. can do it. Okay, Smith is now superpowered. Now the twins can do it too, casually, and nobody seems to think that's remarkable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it just uh, well the other thing that we talked about off air, which is a problem for both of us really. We you know we just talked about how Neo has basically become god yeah. of the Matrix, but what that translates to in films two and three is him being more shootier and more run aroundier and more jumpy. He doesn't just like turn all the bullets into snowflakes or teleport all his Australias to deep uh, oh. all his Australias, all his attackers to Australia <laughs> or just disintegrate them. He doesn't do anything like that, even though yeah, we I mean, know. I, I, all I really have to say here is I DS piss pop D. Um, yeah, he, he is supposed to have all the cheat codes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all, you know, all this, this, this tyranny of physical space, you know, go to the source, but, Everywhere is part of the machine substrate anyway. You should be yeah. able to go to wherever the hell you want to. And things that will, be will, will if, if there is something anything. that, if there is something that prevents you manifesting in a specific space within the simulated environment, it's not going to be a wall next to it. It's going to be some sort of access restrictions that have no correspondent in physical reality. But or yeah. if they do, they have to, it has to be explained that way. But instead we get, 
he's just very fat. He's like like all the others, only he's much better at it. And it, it seems, considering the imagination of the first film, yeah, and I, mean, I get why he, they had to do it, and I get why they had to bring Smith back. But, but basically, it's not... it, I like action films. Hmm. But this is a film, the premise of which specifically undermines the action film, and yeah. yes, it's still doing the action film. I mean, the, the, yeah. you should be transcending this, this this physical space. You know, all you can yes. think of to do is guns and martial arts and deliver kinetic energy to somebody else's simulated body, and the, the best you can do is I never have to reload. And that's it's. I mean, and it works. We in the get first the bigger film. and bigger and bigger action scenes. And yeah, the, the fight against all the Smiths. Um, yeah, the, the highway chase. Uh, it's all really big and really impressive, but it, even it, within we, its own context, it is just a simulation. Exactly. It's not. Uh, I struggle. I can see why Trinity and Morpheus are, are kind of threatened by this thing, but Neo just shouldn't. Be and it, it, it robs. I agree. It robs a lot of the uh, the thrill out of it. A lot of the danger, which was there in the first film. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just he's a kind of doubting character outside in the real world, which I like. Mm. But I'd like to see the juxtaposition. To me, that would be an interesting story. The juxtaposition between your god in the Matrix. Out here, you're kind of this pretty weak, feeble creature who's been in a tank his entire life. Mm. And I'd love to see the, the kind of power imbalance in your... You know, that would speak to me as a, a gamer, as a role player, between, you know, what I like to play and then what it's like in the real world. And But it never explores that, to me, interesting. And again, I shouldn't complain about what a film isn't. Um, but instead, as you say, it just... Uh, and I get it, everyone loved The Matrix and it was cool and they did all these cool bullet time things and if they didn't do that... So well, now we'll do more of them. But Okay, one of the big set-piece scenes, the, the fight against all the Agent Smiths. Mm. Now, from a technical perspective, and as I may have mentioned, I'm, I'm something of a historian of CGI, it is extremely impressive for the day. Yes. Sure. But it would look very nearly the same if you just bought about 20 good quality masks. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, uh, there's that shot where they're all walking away, and that is so very obviously artificial. The thing about CGI and that sort of thing, you do start to take it for granted quite quickly, um, particularly if when it's prolonged, and particularly where you're thinking, well, why doesn't he just... There are some interesting bits in it, and it, I, I have to admit, from a purely visual standpoint, this stuff is really impressive, but it leaves me cold in a way that The Matrix didn't. It, it also, to, to my mind, doesn't build up its emotional weight. I mean, no. Morpheus has that great rabble-rousing speech. Yes. But it comes out of nowhere, and it goes nowhere. Uh, the fight against all the Smiths comes out of nowhere, goes nowhere. The high wages. Um, yeah, we're, we're meeting the... Neo, you must now fight a bunch of guys we've never seen before this scene. Yeah. Fight, fight, fight. I've won. Okay. Yeah. So, um, okay, I, I will grant that... they just did the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark thing, and he just yeah. you know, disintegrated them all. <laughs> they do yeah. all their cool martial arts moves, and he's just like, great, I'm Matrix, I, I'm Neo, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I will admit them. to a certain predisposition on this, because I always find it a bad sign when... To make people sound more menacing, they don't have names; they only have titles. I mean, we had the Oracle, but now we have the Keymaker, the Merovingian, the Architect, yeah. the Twins. Yeah, 
I mean, a shout out to um, uh, Gloria Foster because in into she died between two and three, mm-hmm. and she is she brings a real warmth and humanity to uh, the Oracle. Yeah. And when but she was that, the only character named like that, that was great. <laughs> that was great. But the, I agree that, uh, and I like you know the um, uh, the twins. I did, I didn't find at all. Come was that? Is that Bros? Is that who it used to be? Um, but it's, I think it is um, uh, an old eighties pop band. It might have been Bros. Um, they're just not very interesting because you never for a second think they're going to be uh, Neo anyway, or they shouldn't. Mm. But the other problem I have, one of, so the other problem I have with the two and three is, okay, so we have, in the first film, our representative of the machines is Smith. We don't, much as like the representative of the, the resistance is Morpheus, really. Yeah. Trinity doesn't really say very much about it. Um, and he's interesting and full of hate and passionate, but you get the feeling he's unlike the other machines because they are all a bit like, um, uh, much more robotic, but he yeah. Uh, th- this makes him both their leader and perhaps he's due for a bit of a reformatting once all this is over. Yeah, one could well see go. that. Yeah, he's he's gone too far. But uh, by the time we get to two and three, all the programs are human, basically. Like we to the point of, you know, we have that scene in the railway, uh, the underground railway hmm. on the periphery of the Matrix, where like these programs have children now uh and they get married and mm-hmm. uh, they, these are machine intelligences and i they just I, I mean there is not there is no particular reason why machine intelligences shouldn't be able to do those things but that's not the way they've been presented no they they've I mean, been doesn't... faithful faithful subprocesses of the of the great machine well, maybe, and well, obviously they are basically humans, but there's no. It doesn't doesn't seem very imaginative. They're just like baddies now. They're not. Mm. You know, in the Terminator films, there's no suggestion the Terminator or Skynet or anything like that, or anything other than alien. To, to me, and I suppose this is my uh, Lovecraftian vein. I want the machines to be unknowable, unfathomable. They're so far beyond you, you can't figure them out. Um, but not, instead, not like Bishop. <laughs> well, I like I like Bishop too. But yeah, but that's then, not what you want here. Yeah, exactly. Um, Stephen King does this a bit too. He has these uh, huge, uh, terrible entities from beyond time, but they're all very human. They have human emotions. To me, it feels a bit like Greek gods. You know, they're like us, but they're bigger and tougher. But mm-hmm. they have all the same flaws and virtues and uh, emotions. And I, uh, for some reason. That doesn't work for me. Very the well. the Merovingian, I think, is particularly a case in point here. Yes, yes, exactly. He, yeah, great, great. You've you, you've decided to explore human pettiness. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just. But I think ultimately the problem here is whereas the Matrix goes along at a fair old rate uh, and tells a really interesting with holes, but it doesn't matter because it's quick. It, it's not that quick. But it's, well, the, the, it's these are all two plus hour films. But the first one doesn't feel like it, and these really do. They expand on the law in, to me, some of the least interesting ways. So the the real world, I don't find all that interesting. We focus on Neo and Trinity, and they just... Ultimately, this is where I get tired of them. They're just not that interesting characters. There's not much to them. We don't have anyone like um, Cypher, really... 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a certain amount. I mean, Reeves and Moss, well, Reeves, Keanu in particular has grown as an actor. He can, he can now plausibly portray a person in love. Uh, <laughs> yes. And I do think those, those scenes where they're basically saying, I'm scared for you are reasonably effectively acted. Are they I the do, right scenes like to have bit. in this film? I don't know, but. I do like that. Well, I, yeah, the, the bit where in the third film, uh, where they momentarily pass above the clouds and they both, He's blinded at that point, I think, but she sees, mm-hmm. you know, what it's like above the glass. That's a nice moment. Um, their sacrifices at the end, um, uh, it almost works. It doesn't, I, I, you mentioned before it not kind of earning its emotional weight. And certainly I felt that between Trinity and Neo. That could have been one of the most tragic scenes I've ever seen, but I, I didn't care as much as I perhaps should have done. Maybe that's me. But I, I can get emotional about things, and I didn't really feel that bothered, <laughs> yeah. sadly, by the end of another four, well, it'd be another five hours, basically, in so, that world. Yeah, so shall we, shall we move on to Matrix 3? Yeah. Uh, revolutions. Um, so, Gloria Foster has died, and they've got a new oracle. Now... Mm. Okay, this this is a, a personal taste point. I feel they over and over explain it. Yeah, um, I agree. To say, you know, yeah, take make a virtue of necessity. Say, yeah, my previous shell was destroyed by shenanigans. Now I look yeah. like this. Yeah, that's fine. But then you then you do it again later, and that that seems to me too much. But you know, basically, yeah. as I say, I like action films. But I, I, I want the char- I want the action to have emotional weight. I care about this guy winning this fight because, yeah, yeah. And the the more we lean on the great love story, and I think it, three leans on it particularly hard, the more I realise, as you say, I really don't know very much about these people as yes. people. Three has a lot more about the politics of Zion as well. Yeah. And it's just not that well exactly. <laughs> it's just N- not that Neo has his own super special magic powers, which are not supposedly to do with being the one, they're something completely different and that's who knows, who cares? Yeah. Uh, Smith is but Smith has turned into the Joker. The yeah. the, the supervillain psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> Deus Ex Machina does not mean that the god is a machine. It means the god descends from the stage machinery unexpectedly, as opposed to resolving the plot by a conventional means. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I. I mean, I haven't got much more to say about three. But I, do. <laughs> I, I, I have some things to rant about. <laughs> Let, let's hear your rant. Cause I mean, there, there's, there's that flickery fight in the engineering space of, of one of the ships, and it's it's a really nice flickery fight in the engineering space. And if only I weren't constantly being reminded that for both of the combatants, it, this sort of physical fight should be completely irrelevant, it would be great. Yeah. But I am. Uh, <laughs> yes. And they, they have, they have those mecha. Yeah. And the, 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 we, we saw those mecha briefly in two where they had a really bad bit of CGI. Um, but here, I mean, <laughs> why is the meat bag hanging out at the front? <laughs> Very good point. Of this armored fighting yes. machine? Yes. Uh, there, there, there is apparently law. I don't know how official this is meant to be. That you know the machines will just cut through armor anyway, so you keep them agile. But yeah, you know, there's still fragmentation. There's still blast. They're not actually all that agile. They're just standing around shooting stuff. The whole yeah. reloading thing. And I realised what it reminded me of: the Star Wars prequels, where where there is a big sign flashing at the bottom of the screen saying, "This is the sequence that's going to be in the video game." That's the. 
uh, like the pod racing. Is it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it really does feel sequelitis. Both of them are just bigger, better, stronger, more shooting, more of what you liked in the Matrix. You liked this in the Matrix. Now we've done it with twenty people. Now we've done it on a car. Now we've done it um, uh, in a completely post-apocalyptic. Yeah, I just exactly as you say. If they're gonna say, well, they cut through armor anyway. Well. You wouldn't have any armor at all. Then you would entirely, you basically have an engine on a, mm. on an entirely light thing. Design it that way and go that way. Just yeah. yeah. But no, Scrappy Kid has to has to run out with a pallet of ammunition. I do, I mean, frankly, I can barely remember these things. They just, <laughs> <laughs> they just blended into yeah. disinterest, and it, it's it's remarkable to me how quickly it squandered. I think it's fair to say, you know, measurably they are worse than The Matrix. You know, from all these distance of years, The Matrix still really does stand up as mm. visionary in a lot of ways. And I think the problem is that the questions it asks in two and answers in three just just aren't as interesting as the, the one asked and answered in one. Um, and And it also... Uh, you know, we get may we got way more philosophy and deep deep introspection in our before trilogy. Frankly, we, you know, where we talked about with Julie Delphi mm. um, uh, and uh, this these star-crossed lovers, than we get here. And you've got hours to do it. You could delve into this much more. To me, we get much more interest in the very first film with the betrayal um, and the uh, and Cipher. Than we get in any of the later films. Yeah, there are people who are a bit dodgy, and but there's no. Uh, it's just not. <laughs> it just oh, doesn't help. I'm going to make, make my my usual reference here uh, for a- action film with character, uh, which is Commando, which is not a great film by any means. It's one, one of Arnie's relatively <laughs> I early seen ones. It yet. I, I, seen I it may yet. well make a case for a ribbon of memes in it at some point. I'm never going to complain about watching an 80s. But Arnie. um. I mean, yes, there, there, there is, there is some great beefcake action, but there is also, you always know why he's doing it and what his goal is and you care about it. And that, that, that I, that I think is actually Arnie's real quality as an actor, that he's good at making you care about him even when he is just being a lump of meat. That's true. And I, I do think Keanu Reeves doesn't quite do that here. And it does a good job of trying to explain what they're doing all the time. I still got lost partially because I got bored. <laughs> um, I just it just doesn't hold the interest. So, shall we move on to resurrection? Yeah. So another, another eighteen years. This is one of the many. I'm surprised they didn't just call it the Matrix because that yeah. seems to be the current current mode is just to call it a thing that it's been called before. But this is many years down the line. This is just Lana Wachowski now. I yeah. think. Um, um, I, I believe their parents had recently died, and that was what. Gave them the emotional kick to think, yeah, maybe, yeah, obviously, you know, Warners had been asking them to, to make another one for ages. Um, but they, they'd managed to keep enough of the rights that they could say, not only are we not going to do it, we won't let anybody else do it either. I got um, the impression, it, not least from the film, that Warners were going to do it anyway. So Lana decided, well, it might as well be me that does it rather than anyone mm. else. Uh, so, I mean, the, the first impression I'm getting here is, from the introduction, we're making very heavy use of footage from the previous films, but we're also leaning very hard on the nostalgia button. I mean, yes. we're, you know, the, the initial sequence is a remount of the intro from the first film. And, but it also it sets so up... I think it works well, because it reminds you what's good about the first film, yeah. but also sets up a mystery that isn't Trinity. This isn't what happened, sure. and we know it. 
But I'm, I'm getting a very strong feeling of, hey, hey, you, remember 22 years ago when you were young and optimistic? Here is that feeling again. Yeah. It, it yeah. is the nostalgia button for me. Well, I mean, we are of the generation, you know, that, that our nostalgia poked probably more than most at the minute. Um, <laughs> we won't be for long. We might as well enjoy it. <laughs> um, but, I think um, this opened much more strongly than two or three. Mm. Mm. And uh, there is the one, the, the bit that I think is both very good and very out of place compared to the rest of the film, which is that, okay, so uh, Thomas Anderson is a game dev who back in the day produced a game called The Matrix. That, that is his, to be and that is Matrix. his reality now. Yes. It, it yes. does seem to have been all three of them in terms of content. Yeah. Um, but the thing that is now happening is they're going to do a sequel. And the actual creative people don't want to, but it's going to happen anyway. Um, the, the thing I think is particularly good is the, the scene where they're, the, well, scenes where they're tossing around ideas and what are we going to put in this and what, what's the big thing going to be? Because it feels a bit more playful here and yeah. they get to be a bit meta about it and they even reference, you know, is this a, uh, was it a metaphor for a transition for, um, gender dysphoria and that? They get to throw in all the theories that have been there over the previous mm. 20 years or whatever. I, I don't think it fits the rest of the film very well, but it's it's great fun to watch. And it, it, it's a much more play, and it feels a bit more humorous. Neo, probably because I'm a tired, tired late middle aged guy. He's a tired late middle aged guy. And yeah, but in, but also Keanu has done John Wick by now. Yeah, and he he, he, he is having his acting actor, renaissance, and he's more empathetic here. Uh, he's still Neo, though, and Neo is fundamentally still an uninteresting <laughs> character to me. But, uh, yeah, it works better. I, and in many ways, it tries to have its cake and eats it, and almost... I hate that saying, you know, it really should be, you can't eat your cake and still have it. Mm-hmm. Because chronologically, you can have a cake and then eat it. But anyway, it tries to have its cake and eat it by kind of both nostalgia poking the Matrix and then sort of replaying it, because Neo is again in a reality that he doesn't understand and someone's to come in from outside and say, no, this is reality, take mm-hmm. the pill again. Yeah. Um, and, but- yeah, the, there are two faces who are very obviously, to me, not here. Uh, Hugo Weaving, they did yes. ask, um, he, but he had scheduled conflicts with, with, a, with some theatre work. He regarded the theatre work as more important than making huge pots of money off the film, and I can't say he was wrong to do that. It's Lar- certainly a choice. Lawrence Fishburne, they didn't even ask. Ugh. That's depressing. Yeah. Uh, I was quite impressed with um, Jessica Hen- Henwick, 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 um, as Bugs, who was like, mm. I liked her a lot as the kind of cyber playful character. But but she's also the new audience viewpoint, and I think that's quite well blended. She, but then she turns out to be a captain as well, and I think that works less well when we get into mm. the real world. And it... Uh, uh, I, re- I was really enjoying The Matrix Resurrection, but again, we get this huge expansion on the real world that I'm still not interested in. I wasn't interested in last time. I'm not interested in now. There, there was um, a bit of a second half wrench for me, you know. Now, now we are in, in the interminable action sequence again. Yeah. And yeah. I was quite quite enjoying it up to that point, and then it went downhill. But, um, and having said we mm. weren't that impressed with all the... Um, 
uh, the action in two and three, but it was visually very impressive. There isn't actually really anything to match that in in Resurrection. There's no standout action sequence. Not that I particularly miss that, but I, I was surprised there wasn't anything that they tried to do huge. Yeah, I mean, e- even in two and three, they're, they're trying to be a bit innovative in the CGI. Mm. And now it seems to me that these are the same effects that I will see in every film. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, finally they've thought of force fields. <laughs> yes, yes. When they're, when they're being shot a lot. Um, yeah, by, by the time the Verovingian is back, it, it, it's, it's lost, lost it for me. Um, that, that whole, the, the projected particulate body thing. Mm. It's a great visual effect. Yeah. But it is explicitly introduced as a thing you can have projected in your safe environment. Yeah. And so then, how is he and then later on, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to go along on the mission with everybody else. It'll be fine. Well, I don't, I, I, I did feel like Resurrection, the rules aren't explained that well in the, as you say, uh, I didn't understand how he could then be an entity in the real world in this sort of situation uh, when he's infiltrating, uh, once again, Neo's been, um, put in the baby juice or whatever. <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> probably the wrong term to use. Um, and similarly, uh, when Matrix, uh, sorry, when Neo fully Neo's out again, Except he isn't quite, and he's getting shot and shot and shot, but he can just stop the bullets with his hand. But apparently it takes his fatigue points or something. Well, he looked grunty and a bit tired, but that wasn't clear whether, oh, is he going to run out of stopping bullet power, or is that not? Because uh, if he is, maybe say that, so he'd be like, oh, I can't do this for much longer. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, it doesn't really matter how many gunships you throw at him, he's just going to stop all the bullets, so it's not that interesting. Well, you see, every bullet has to be allocated a a, um, segment of memory to to keep track of its TPV, and uh, the the more of the, the more, you know, your allocator's just going to run out of space eventually. I I see. Okay, well, there we go. That's that, that they could have said that. That well, yeah, they needed you a script doctor <laughs> on the film. Well, um, I, I would have stopped them pronouncing it nemosine. It's nemosine. <laughs> uh, oh, bless you, Roger. But um, a, a positive point, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. I I like him. I like him as an actor. Um, again, to me, he's too human for a machine. But I like the way here he's explicitly like the other guys all think I'm crazy. But I'm. De- I, I think he is very good. Yes, I, he, I, I he, like him. I will admit, I I felt he was playing it very much like Kiefer Sutherland in Dark City. Yes, which yes, is a role I enjoyed true. a lot. So yes, that yeah. may may have biased me in his favour. I I do think he had a bit of a mountain to climb with the exposition though, and he handled mm. it very well. It's just it doesn't make any sense at all. Like why why do these two people have to be in the same similar, but they can't meet? And they can't. Well, it didn't. Make, and then we're told. Well, you see, you see, it's like two rods of uranium. <laughs> but then, then we're told that his PR guy is actually a handler program. But his PR guy is the guy who introduces him to Trinity, and mm. his whole job is to keep them apart. We're told later on into it. it doesn't make any sense. He's the one who goes over to Trinity and says, "Hey, my guy fancies you." It doesn't make any sense. Mm. Um, but I don't know why. I, but at this point, I'm not. I, I had it piqued my interest again for, and then it was it was basically like a rerun of the trilogy because there's an opening bit that's very interesting and I really liked, and then I lost interest and got bored again. Yeah, I'm afraid same same for me. I mean, I think the thing that really capped it for me was okay. We've got a crowd fight in the dark. It's very impressive, 
hang on, I've played Left 4 Dead. <laughs> yes. And, and there I was actually involved in it. Yeah, I did just watch people grow. And we always complain about um, action where you can't quite... Not something The Matrix is particularly guilty of, but action where you can't quite mic out what's going on. Uh, it just all felt too much like this plot has been torturously tied round in knots to make the things that you want to see happen on screen. Mm. Um, and the it, things that you want to see are not actually all that super impressive now. Yeah, but I, I don't just mean the fights. I mean like Trinity and Neo getting back together, even though mm-hmm. they're both dead. Um, so what they've... they've... I, I did think her death in 3 was especially pointless. Yes. Yeah, you know, yeah. you you die in a vehicle crash as opposed to, you know, you die holding off the bad guys so that, so that somebody else can get away. Yeah, it's, it may be realistic, but this is not a realistic narrative in any other sense. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a more satisfying resolution to the story than 3 was, but I think the mm. best of the... I think the most satisfying resolution was the end of 1. Yes, having watched all four... I commend my younger self for stopping at the Matrix because I think <laughs> that was the best thing to do. And everyone, everyone around me who'd seen them was told me to do that, and I don't feel any differently now. I think the Matrix is great. I think the rest of the films are middling. I'm, at best. I I won't completely agree with you because I am glad I've seen number four. I, I yeah, particularly okay. the first half of it I did enjoy, and it would have made much less sense had I not previously seen two and three and worked out what they were starting from. I will admit that one of the big reasons to watch two and three was because I did want to watch four, hmm. and I, I thought it wouldn't make a lot of sense. Yes, I agree. That's that's a fair point. But I go back to your original comment, my lord, that the best ending to this, all of these is The Matrix, and I completely agree with you. So other stuff the Wachowskis have done has been a fairly mixed bag. Uh, Speed Racer, some people thought was great. Right. Uh, it was it was the very neon coloured one that a lot of people hated. I haven't seen it. Oh, uh, Cloud Atlas yeah. got very good buzz. I watched Cloud Atlas and I read the book and I felt the same about both of them. That uh, it really felt like it was supposed to add up to more than the sum of its parts, and it just didn't. Uh, for for me, the book comes under non science fiction writer writes science fiction and thinks it must yeah. be easy. Um, they did <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, which which was a great multicoloured blurg. Okay. Uh, they um, they did Sense Eight, which a TV series which had had some pretty good buzz. I haven't haven't seen it myself. I would like to watch that, uh, partially because of uh, J. Michael Straczynski's uh, involvement in it, but I think it got cancelled early. Or I, 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 I'm always wary about things that don't have a good resolution. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it's a fairly mixed bag uh, in terms of both our response and and uh, general critical response. I, I'm pretty sure I, I know how you got answer here, but um, <laughs> masterpiece, Matrix, yes. All yeah. the others, no. Yeah, I'm afraid. Uh, I, I mean, we could do a ranking if you like, which would for me be uh, one by far and away the best. I think <laughs> you've told me you've said this already, but we four, four clearly comes it. next. Four is definitely next, but it's it's quite a drop to four. And two and three are. Pretty much together, I think, for me. I, I find them very hard to distinguish between. and They're not... Uh, I want to say they're not terrible, because a lot of heart went into them. But if they bored me, then I'm afraid that is kind of a terrible thing. For if an action film do. is boring me, it is doing something wrong, not just yeah. that I am weird. 
concede that I am. <laughs> yes, I think that's fair. So, uh, yeah. Well, there we are. Perhaps what, should we save our 2022 in film? Uh, we we, we did that last episode with Pig. It, oh, well, there we go. We didn't. Oh, Pig, I'd forgotten. Pig. As in the real world, it's been a while. But... <laughs> well, there we are. That is uh, The Matrix. You may now all take the the blue pill and wake up and uh, remember that you don't you don't have to watch all of them don't worry just watch the first one i still know kung fu